Hey everybody, welcome back to A Higher Future. This is UB Simonetti from Interview IA, joined by Dr. Nicole Gravagna. Hello, hello. Hi, UB. And you're coming to us from Mexico right now, yes? I am. I'm currently in Puerto Vallarta, enjoying beautiful sunsets and warm weather. That sounds amazing. It's sort of starting to warm up here in Denver, but not really yet, so... Whatever, it's fine, right? Because it's great because we're joined by uh, a good friend of ours, Mr. Jeff Vargas, who's president and CEO of Generationology, talking about the five generations in the workplace. How are you? Hey, Mr. UV and Nicole. Awesome to see you guys. I'm doing fantastico here uh, <laughs> with you, uh, uh, UV in Denver. So you know the Denver life, right? Uh, yesterday was 63, and they say it's going to snow. 70% chance. Yeah, Today. right? So I'm not, I'm just, oh man, I'm, yes, island is in my future. That's my future of work. Is some <laughs> island somewhere. I can recommend well, it, yes. It's quite lovely. <laughs> right, exactly. So that's the plan. Well, so what we, we're excited because um, what the work that you're doing as far as helping organizations navigate, like we said, the five generations that currently exist in the workforce um, is, has always been super interesting to me. And we wanted to dive into that a little bit as it applies to the future of work. Like how are organizations having to navigate that and, and, you know, then throw in COVID, right? So, so talk a little bit about what's been going on, like, you know, with your work and, and, some some trends and then i know nicole's got some great questions to dive in even more yeah awesome well well first uh ub i want to thank you and nicole for the opportunity to just uh share and jam together and talk about stuff that i think we all have mutual interests on and uh, i appreciate uh, you know the uh, beginning conversation here about generations because a lot of folks are are fascinated with it um, and they experience, you know, it's something that we call in our practice, just aha moments, like, oh, now I sort of get it. Like that, that's how it works. And they're able to take uh, new and exciting initiatives forward based on the knowledge base that they are able to create. I think we're, we're seeing some really interesting trends um, in the area of what we like to call intergenerational collaborative intelligence, that organizations are having to practice um, where they may not have had to do it before. And so I think one of the things that I'd say along those lines um, that we're seeing is in the area of uh, intergenerational leadership culture. So I think one of the trends that we're seeing is organizations are now spending more time, uh, they're spending more focus, or they're suffering when they don't spend more time and focus on this ideology of um, what does it mean to have an intergenerational leadership culture? Uh, what does it mean to stand one up? What does it mean to deploy one? What does it mean to evaluate? What does it mean to grow? And then what does it mean to sort of work on it amongst uh, the edges? Uh, so intergenerational, uh, I think uh, in, from that can- concept and that standpoint tends to be one of the foremost things. How do you wanna set up the culture? How are you intentional about inviting people to be part of your team in ways they haven't been before? Um, fortunately, and I know you and I, all of us are excited about this uh, conversation that more organizations are having about diversity and inclusion and belonging. Um, but then it gets granular because it feels good to talk about it. But then how do you do it intentionally on an intergenerational space? A mistake that we've seen a couple organizations make is 
having a mismatch between their intent and then their language, right? So I know your heart's there. And when you say, hey, you know, I'm a baby boom leader and I have an open door office and I want you to come and talk to me and I want to hear all your ideas. There's a second part to that conversation, which is if you do come to talk to me, your ideas should be organized. There should have been some sort of legal vetting before it gets to me. So I don't get myself or the organization in trouble. Mm -hmm. And it would be okay if you gave me an operational plan that goes along with it that involves costs. But if I, as a baby boomer, don't say that out loud, I am operating with the ideology that you understand my generational language the same way that I understand it. So when I look at you and I smile and I say, you become, I got an open door policy. All the stuff I just listed are things that I expect you to know before you get into my office. Mm -hmm. uh, the millennial young emerging leader who's coming through the doors sees the CEO in the office and says, hey, you have an open door policy, right? You got 15 minutes? I do. I'll walk you to your office. Here's what I want to share. And the, the sort of the wisdom of the crowd goes, ah, that's not necessarily <laughs> the way to do it. But it's lost in the language and the exchange because there's a lack of knowledge, frankly, and awareness for, of intergenerational perspectives and intergenerational collaboration. It sounds like you're saying that when you have multiple generations working together in the same environment, that you actually have multiple cultures working together in the same environment. And within those cultures that are generationally um, separated, that there are different rules of the way that one should behave that are that go unspoken. Is is that about that's what fantastic? You're that yeah. is, I would that, that's mm -hmm. extraordinarily insightful, Nicole. That's exactly right. And most organizations, based on economy of scale, saying, "Hey, we have a certain amount of dollars. We got to get the biggest bang for our buck," and all the other you know terminology that we hear say, "Well, here's the only thing we can do." My response to that is, "You're." the only thing that you're doing is fitting the generation that's leading that conversation. Because the reality is with some tweaks, your messaging, your value connection that you wanna make with your employees, the level of employee engagement and the minimization of employee disruption that you wanna have can be increased if you just pay attention, make some tweaks, they don't necessarily have to be holistic and change. You know, Jennifer Deal wrote a great book years ago. She it was called, you know, Retiring the Generation Gap. And, and she made a strong argument. She's with the CCL, you know, Center for Creative Leadership, that we all have, there's some area of common value system. And she's 100% true. The counter for that is that we all, you know, we, we all know how to say hello. But if I'm in Japan, it's going to sound a little bit differently than I am in Mexico, the United States. It's still mm -hmm. hello. It's still a greeting. We still want to say it, but the way we say it is, is different. And our ability to pay attention to that nuance is correct. There are five different cultures in your workforce if you have five different generations. And I'd even argue there's a sixth. And the sixth is the thing that you put all together when you mix the five together. Yeah. Now you got this crazy soup, right? Right. <laughs> Right, and how do you eat it? Like that's the thing, right. Everybody's everybody's using a different utensil. Right, you know, right. some people are picking up the bowl and drinking right out of it. Like that's what it, it is. Kind of fascinating, and I think you know where where we sort of talk about this in in the hiring process, and and where we, I think, 
where we're trying to encourage, you know, these inclusive hiring practices to go is to, you know, just straight up ask the question, right? Like, what do you need to communicate better? What do you need to do your job with us and be your true self, right? And, you know, we can take a playbook, a page out of the playbook when working with people with disabilities, right? And understanding from a technology perspective, what do we as an organization need to help you be successful here if you're blind or if you're deaf? We can do the same thing, I think, just by simply asking, like, what do you need to be your authentic self? But we didn't, right? Because we focus just on the job requirements. And that's it. You guys are opening up the eyes to hiring managers in a big way just to give them the chance to ask that question. And then I would argue sort of the tale to that is just to ask it and add this, this, you know, sort of phraseology, you know, if I'm speaking to a group of individuals outside of my generation, I need to be curious and I need to ask questions like, tell me a little bit about the work culture that you envision. What works best for you, right? Without giving the description that I'm asking you that because I'm going to implement it. So that's where your decision science gets to be authentic. I want input from everybody. And eventually, we're going to have a culture that addresses all that we've heard. But I I don't want to go into it blindly thinking it's just what I want. Because at the end of the day, if we're going to have real engagement, I think, what is it? The uh, Yale's uh, Center for Emotional Intelligence talks about that, right? You can have very engaged employees, but they're also suffering a lot, right? They've got a lot of stress. And I think their stats, like one out of five employees who are your high performers really engaged are also suffering a lot and they're burnt out. I think it's the terminology they use. You know, So you got, you got 20, 20% of your workforce, high performers, who are doing great work, but they're burnt out. So I, I think we, got, we have to give people the chance to speak, be heard, listen to. And then this is the part we miss is we go back to them and say, hey, here's the things we're going to be able to implement and here's the things we're not. And here's some of the reasons why we're not going to be able to implement it you're valued. You know, if you've ever had a chance to play in a sports team, you may want to take the last shot. Somebody else might not have. That doesn't mean you quit the team tomorrow. Just means it wasn't your turn for that shot, but there may be another one coming forward. We just don't have that conversation. And so people live in uh, moats and gaps of uh, determining what they should do next. And from a generational perspective, they're most comfortable going back to their generational experience and generational knowledge that informs where they go going forward. And if your culture isn't intentional about it being intergenerational, if you don't have an intentional intergenerational leadership culture, which I would argue and think you guys would too, starts even before the hiring practice. But when you're going through interviews, for sure, it's going to show up in a way that you didn't intend it to uh, later on in the work experience. So before we started recording, we pinned you down and and made you explain to us what are the five different generations that are all in the workforce. So I'm going to sum it up really quick and let me know if I did it right. Yeah. Okay. So I'll start at the top. Uh, The the traditionalists are the 75 years old and older folks that are probably sitting on the board of most companies that may still be in the day-to-day workforce, uh, but are really still driving a lot of the decision-making and, and, um, methods that the work is getting done if they're not necessarily in the day-to-day. 
the baby boomers are, uh, I guess, 74 to 56-ish. And um, they're still in the workforce, but not the majority anymore. The Gen X is 42 to 55. Millennials are 24 to 40. And uh, Gen Z are the 23-year-old and younger a part of the population. So those are our five different generations. And they each have uh, very different ways that they go about doing their work, that they go about behaving in the workforce. Uh, one of the things that came up when Yubi was asking you that last question, and i really, really curious to hear the answer, is authenticity, this, this thing that we value as we, we want to be able to have people come to work and be themselves and be the best, their best selves. Is authenticity even important to all of those generations? Is that something that was recently invented and is now something that the younger generations care about and the older generations don't? What do you see? That's a fantastic question. And it's one that doesn't often get asked because there's an assumption that everybody's on board with the same definition. And bullseye again, Dr. Nicole, uh, that assumption would be, in my opinion, incorrect, right? So I'll give you an example. Um, baby boomers will often say, again, we have an open door policy. We want you to come here and be your best self, right? But there's also a bunch of social norms that go along with their experience of what the workplace looks like, how the workplace interaction looks like, how relationships, and by the way, relational capital is their currency, right? What does that look like? So for a baby boomer, for me to say I'm mentoring you, that puts personal stock in who I am. My reputation goes before you. And from that point forward, every success that you have, sure enough, it's because I mentored you, right? And every failure you have, in some ways, I even try to mitigate. Do you know why? Because again, I sponsored you. My reputation is out there. Gen Xer mentorship, again, as an example. Listen, I can only give two hours a month. That's all I'm going to give, right? I'll fit you in the box. Box works. We'll go forward. But I want you for those two hours, bring your authentic self. Like everything you can, bring yourself. And if I agree with what you, this authentic self you're bringing, I'll be like, great. If I don't, I'll tell you right away. Because I'm the truth teller in the organization. I got to keep it real. I got to let them know. Even though they weren't hired for that, there's no special box. Gen X <laughs> absorbs that, right? So we'll do that. Millennials will say, my entire life, people have said, just do you. Just be you. So I come to the workplace and I want to do the any 80, you know, any 80 hours a week. And I want to work on projects, the ones I choose off the board, not the ones they give me. I want to be me. The hiring folks say, well, wait a minute, we, we hired you against the vacancy announcement that had duties. Yeah, 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 but I just wanted to get in. I'm in now, right? So can we recreate the job? Each generation in those examples, they're utilizing their own generational interpretation of what it means to be authentic. Baby boomers also are famous for saying, because you understand the cultural code, I'm telling you no. When I mean yes, do you hear me? Because I want you to be able to interpret that, right? Mm -hmm. I'll give you an example. You know, um, years ago, one of the jobs I had, I was in charge of learning for the nuclear weapons program for our country, and we had a leadership development program. 
And um, one of the, and, and in that program we had a, and you, you're, I'm sure you're glad to know this, is we had a process for people to get accepted and then they would go off to these wonderful programs. And so, you know, I have a committee, we go through all this blah, blah, I'll make a long story short. We had a gentleman who had submitted an application for someone and the application had an endorsement from this gentleman and our committee and afforded to me, I made the decision. We sent this guy to this special school for a while, long period of time. As soon as we made the announcement that he was going, the per person who had given the recommendation calls me and they said, Jeff, what are you doing? So what do you mean? You're sending blah, blah, blah to X, Y, and Z school? Well, yeah. He's like, how could you do that? I said, well, you gave a recommendation in there. He's like, yeah, <laughs> but didn't you read? You know, couldn't you see I had some concerns? And I'm very Gen X. So I'm like, well, if you, if you had some concerns, maybe you shouldn't have given me a recommendation. Like, so, but he was being, in the baby boom world, I'm being authentic because I'm giving you who I am through a coded methodology for you to interpret and can respond to. Can you see where there can be some confusion <laughs> in the workplace? I always like the story you told um, about these caveats, right? So the open door, going back to the open door policy, right? Y you know, yeah, baby boomer manager says, of course, I have an open door policy. But, you know, Gen Zer who likes to um, communicate via text or, or messaging app, you know, okay, I get that, but I'm, I'm, I'm still going to text you, even though, you know, I may be right outside your door, your open door, uh, I'm still going to message you. And, right. you know, and so that they're, they're, those caveats are fascinating. Right. And 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 you don't to your point, like if there's not clear communication, it, it's crazy. Right. How simple clearly communicating these things would would solve so many freaking problems that frankly get blown so way out of proportion. How are we even still in existence? Yeah. Yeah, you bring up the nuclear program. I'm like, how close <laughs> have we been? How many times in our history? I would always, I would always, uh, you know, talk to my folks who worked in employee relations, you know, and labor relations that, you know, my job, if we were doing it well, was for you to have less business because mm -hmm. by the time something ends up in a grievance, people have run to their generational corners. But if at the end of the day, you know, it's unlikely that a baby boomer is going to come out and be incredibly direct with three words. But it is very likely that a Gen Xer will be incredibly direct with three words. So who are you working for from a generational perspective? It might give you some insight. They're not upset with you, right? But the Gen Xer is juggling eight things. And so when they say, no, we can't, that's not the discussion point, right? The baby boomer might say, well, you know, it's a great idea. We've been thinking about something. Uh, go ahead and chisel the rock and bring me something and I'll decide whether or not we can do. But really, can you hear what I'm telling you? I'm telling you no right now. <laughs> but if you don't interpret that with great clarity, um, and who would unless you have the baby boom handbook? Now, I don't mean to, and I, I don't want to sound like I'm beating up on baby boomers because baby boomers are incredibly relational and deserve credit for that. And they have been able to build systems, programs, and processes that have you know executed at internet speed before the internet and continue on when something breaks down because they know you and you know them and they know who you are i trust your character you trust my character we can go to flash the bang on a project that in the millennial world has to be scripted out because you know 
people are going to fall down and we got to write out the 18 steps. We can just roll with it if we're baby boomers. That can frustrate another generation. But to, to your point, how do we even communicate and get stuff done without this generational knowledge? I'm not sure, which is good for my business. But well, no, I can see what you're saying that if you if you had the deep relationship with someone else that you worked with, you would know when it's coded. It would be clear to you because you knew exactly what to expect from that person. And now I'm wondering, is this, is that focus on relationship in the baby boomers world, why boomers are so worried about younger generations losing connection to other people because it just isn't as valuable in that world. And so they're seeing it lost among newer generations. And they're like, the thing that we care most about, you're not even doing. Exactly, exactly. And so then what happens is the baby boomer feels disrespected. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what I can bring to the table is a Rolodex of 7,000 people. And the millennial millennial goes, okay, well, how can I put that Rolodex in Excel, sort it, create a pivot table from it, and then get to the six people I need by Thursday? And the baby boomer's like, well, wait a minute. I'm telling you I have this relational capital. Build some with me, and I will open the secret door to get the four to six to eight, 15 people that you need, which is why it becomes such a struggle because we have as a society, and again, that's where these things come from. It's our societal norms based on the generational experience that people have. As a society, we've helped millennials and other generations to recognize that, listen, there's a cheat code for it out there somewhere. There's a YouTube video. There's somebody who's written down every step. You can DIY anything, just go and do it. And then people do it. It doesn't work. They get frustrated and they blame the listing of steps rather than recognize that the secret sauce was relational capital. And baby boomers are not going to, in my opinion, at any point, put down every single step. Because when they uh-huh. do, now they fed into a generational uh, exercise that they don't, that that's, they just haven't ascribed to. So what we often tell younger leaders, you know, any leader under the age of 40 really is, I know you think you don't have time because you have another meeting to go to, but clock yourself, spend 15 minutes extra with someone and just ask them two questions. Tell me a little bit more about your experience and the work we're doing now. And if you were me and my agent in my career, what are two or three bit tidbits of advice that you would give? You're opening the door to the knowledge bank that the baby boomer has that he or she wants to share. But when you put them in a tactical response area, you're going to get a response, but it's not going to be the same. They're not going to have the same dig. They're not going to have the same investiture than they would if you started to speak. If you start to speak the language of a generation outside of your own, which is one of the reasons I am a crazy Madden 21 player. I play NBA 2K. <laughs> oh, I really do. Like, that's my release. Yeah, um, yeah. And my, my son and I got a team. We trade. I'm not... I'm really into that. I'm not pretending. I'm into that. I can speak that language. I can't speak a lot of the other stuff, but I can speak <laughs> that language. But you have to know when you're, when you're moving into that place. And then I believe, then we're bringing more of our, our authentic self. We're growing our authentic self, if that makes sense. As yeah. leaders. Do you think... Oh, go ahead, Nicole. Well, so, okay, so I 
took on a lot of older men as mentors moving through my career. And so now I'm realizing that the advice that I was getting was not only male advice, which I recognize the difference between male advice and female advice, but I didn't recognize the generational difference advice. And now I'm realizing that this piece I see with older men, the way they do a meeting is 45 minutes of the meeting is a get, get to know you, how's your family, where, what's going on in your world and your business. And the last 15 minutes are they get the thing done and move on. And, wow. and I, I, you know, I asked specifically my mentors, like, why do we do it this way? Is this important? Can't we just spend less time? Cause I'm Gen X and yes. I'm like, can we just do this <laughs> quick and move on? I thought it was because I was a woman. I wanted to get the thing done and move on. Women do that very efficient, move on. And, and so I was teaching women, hey, act like a man. I didn't realize I was saying, hey, women, take from, not only take from the, the male way of doing business, recognize the value in the relationship. I was also saying, hey, take from the boomer way of doing things yes. and take from the relationship. That is such fascinating information. I had no idea that's, that was so specific to generation, not maybe gender yes. or maybe both. You, you know, uh, you know, a, a 15 second story that, that fits with what you just talked about. You know, I would tell folks all the time, everybody on my staff, I would say, if you're dealing with a baby boom leader, right? Ask them about their experience. Give them space to talk about their experience. Why? Because it gives them a chance for them to validate themselves in your eyes. Before you can collaborate with a baby boomer, there has to be an exchange of experience. And even, and, and in order for me to do that, where it's non-threatening, what do I do? I ask you about crazy stuff like, how's your family, right? A family I don't know. I don't know the names of. And what I want to do is I want to build a personal connection, which by the way, is a chip because one day I might need you. And because I feel like I've got a personal connection, I'll pick up the phone and I'll ask you for it. We used to do these really important, I think, intergenerational exercises where we would have a major issue in our country. Um, you know, as, again, on the nuclear weapon side, if there was, say, a kaboom somewhere in the world. And today, Nicole's representing millennials. She doesn't know it in our little example, but she's, you know, ha so we give some of the ideology of a millennial and, and UV is a Gen Xer and, and I'm a baby boomer. And we have someone else who's a facilitator and we present the issue and we present the approach to addressing the issue based on our own generational space. And millennials would fight me in the class and they would say, Jeff, we had a kaboom. UB represents the CIA, Nicole's with the FBI. We gotta get their input. I should be able to pick up the phone and they're gonna respond. And the person playing the baby boomer would say, they're gonna respond because I have a relationship with them. I met them at a conference somewhere. We developed it. We all have responsibilities, but because I have a relationship, your call gets, you get the call back first than somebody else because relational capital is the currency that they deal with. So again, once you become aware of a different generation, you can become more effective as a leader, more effective as an intergenerational leader for sure. Okay, so I've got one, one more question then I'll let you be do the one that's been burning inside him. Okay. <laughs> I was just going to mention Chernobyl, like watch the Chernobyl Ooh, series, you know, scary like series. this, like with this layer of information, Oof. anyway. Yeah. Okay. So uh, leadership development, coaching, one of the big pieces of advice, any, anytime you're going into that space is meet people where they are. 
that's always the best way to actually connect with somebody and get the things done that you need to do. Meet them where they are. So it sounds to me like what you're suggesting is that to work intergenerationally, we need to meet someone of another generation where they are. What is the best way for people to learn how to meet people of other generations where they are? It's a great, great question. A couple of things is have some conversations with folks about areas of commonality that you're going to find yourselves talking about and understand some different perspectives and listen, not from for, from a defensiveness perspective of your own sort of generational bias. And by the way, I'm breathing. I have a bias, right? So we all have got biases and we have them when it comes to generations, you know, and it's ironic, but usually when I get a bunch of Gen Xers together, we do know we do things best, right? We just don't say it out loud. It's just sort of understood. Um, but, you know, but, but what you got to do is you got to give yourself the chance to um, really understand that this is not going to be a natural place of education. And so one of the things that I say is um, your best education is just having, you know, informational uh, conversations with people that you work with, uh, people that you know. Uh, and then, of course, there's, uh, you know, the, uh, the formal study. Um, my uh, good friend, and, and uh, because I'm Gen X, it's data-driven research, is uh, Dr. Jean Twenge. She's a professor out of San Diego uh, State University. Um, years ago, she wrote a book called Generation Me, and she's written one on the I generation, the narcissistic factor. Um, she looked at data of, um, you know, two, 2 million individuals, millennials over a certain period of time. So um, I often get a lot of pushback from millennials, like, you don't know us. And I'm like, all right, well, if you know anybody else who studied more than 2 million data points, cool. But this is just sort of what we've learned. Um, and we're going to respect individuality. But these are stuff that we've learned. We can share, right? We can do that. So I often say, uh, spend a little time in, uh, with Dr. Twenge and her research and her uh, information is always a good starting point. Um, and then, you know, if you're, if you're a leader in this space, uh, one of the things that you can do up front, um, and we have some survey instruments and others do as well, is just give yourself a little tongue in cheek opportunity, you know, and what you're going to find is fascinating because what we know to be the results of the research and then the little sample that you have in your office, here's the crazy part. They're probably going to match. And uh, the things that we talk about. And so I'd say last thing is that is find four to five areas of insight that's going to work best for your organization. And then, you know, stay with that concentration and that flow. What you guys are doing, which is super important work and, you know, in, in the area of, of hiring and making sure you're getting that right, um, I think is one. Onboarding is another. Um, one thing that we don't talk about is, uh, which I think is significant, is what does their first 100 days look like? Mm -hmm. And for a baby boomer, I kind of cut to the chase. I'm learning about the people. I'm building the relationship. With Gen X, I'm going to give you a data point. Oh, my goodness. You're not. I'm going to blow you out of the water, right? And yeah. so you can see right there, those are two different approaches. And they both believe their result will we'll lead them long-term success. And the millennial will have a little bit of the mix, but you know, in their 100 days, they're also looking at what they're going to do post the next 100 days. So you can see where that, uh, hmm. that, you know, that's a, a conversation. And then the, the normal things you would expect, you know, performance management with a little bit of a generational lens is important, uh, I think, going forward. And then the last is sort of 
you know, my baby, my sweet spot is uh, career development, career pathing. Um, you know, how do you develop your your knowledge uh, management programs and processes, and you you allow yourself an intergenerational layer on top of all of it. Hmm. Fascinating. Uh, I mean, there's just it, it's just such an eye opening thing this conversation because you know when like onboarding to your point, like I hadn't even ever thought about creating onboarding specifically for for somebody based a lot on what generation they come from, because that's a great point. Like what are they individually uh, going to be focused on in their heads based on their generation? Yeah. So, so, your so point, you'd be, if you're, if you're yeah. the CEO of an organization, so if you're, if you're, if you are go out and you get this incredible baby boomer, right? They're on part of their onboarding experience message from the CEO talking yeah. about the big expansion. You're going to go forward. And yeah. we're so excited to have you on board. You're onboarding a Gen Z, you better have some gam gamification and give me a badge at the end of each step of my onboarding activity mm -hmm. and help me to see the lineage of I fi figure step one, step two, step three. Are those two different onboarding experiences? Could you me meld them? In some ways you can, sure. yeah. but if you're absent of either one of those, you're going to miss a generational connection that you could have made. Well, so, so last question to kind of close us out, how has... COVID changed all of this, right? Because I mean, you know, it, it, we're talking about five generations in the workforce, but right now w with majority working from home, I mean, it's kind of this virtual scenario where we're all in the same space now in a sense, right? So how, how has COVID changed and what does that mean for the future of work? If That's, things stay like this, you know? Yeah. Um, COVID's COVID's changed everything. COVID has changed everything from this standpoint. It has illuminated issues, thoughts, ideas, challenges, opportunities that organizations may have thought, yeah, it's five or 10 years down the road. It's mm. put it front and center. It's also given a voice for the worker that wasn't always there previously. Mm -hmm. So it's democratized a lot of um, work in some capacities. Um, where it's where it's really changed is in the area of performance management. Because mm -hmm. if I'm an, an old school leader and I'm line of sight, right, and I can't see you, and you know you don't turn your camera or your mic on, but you're in the meeting. I mean, I would never host a meeting in my office, and you were in the meeting, but not in the meeting, right? <laughs> so, um, but uh, it's also a really affected what what we call you know workplace norms, right? So how do people greet each other? Where you and I might have seen each other in the hall and said, "Hey, man, let's take a let's walk two blocks to Panera and get a sandwich." Mm -hmm. um, we we can do a virtual sandwich, but it's not going to be by accident, right? They're, we're not going to just come out of a meeting and all of a sudden decide let's brainstorm on something. We have to have a greater level of intentionality to our programs, our processes, and initiatives. So COVID has changed. What does it mean? to collaborate with individuals. Now the tools of, you know, Slack and others have, you know, gone off the, that Zoom have gone off the deep end in terms of utilization, but those are tools. What does it mean for me to share now my heart, my mindset, my soul, my connection with you? It means something different when we're in person than when we're not. And we have to recognize that. So there's a, a speed and acceleration to uh, completion, but, and this is where it's really hurting baby boomers where you're seeing it, it's not spoken about a lot, is we're not building as much relational capital. 
So where do we go in the future is I think we've got to take a pause and we've got to be way more intentional about the workplace cultures that we want to, we want to identify and then we want to promote. And for organizations that sort of let them happen organically, I think they're going to really be struggling in the future because you, you're, you're, going to ha- you're going to have to be so much more intentional. And leaders themselves, he or she, they, they can't just talk about being involved. Really, at the end of the day, you be, they're, going to, they're going to have to be. So if it's yeah. on social issues, they're going to have to show how they've donated, not just the organization's time, but their personal time, their personal, yeah. like their skin in the game is going to have to be much more visible. But I'm optimistic that with greater awareness opens up doors of greater possibility. And with you guys as consultants and others that are out there that can help people really understand this stuff, I think they got a good shot of being successful. Left to their own devices, not as much, but I think with the right, uh, <laughs> with the right help, they'll get there. Everybody needs a little bit of help. Everybody I do. Needs I know I do. Lord, yeah, right. <laughs> I'll give you my wife's number. She'll, she'll vouch on that. But yeah, we all need a little. Well, I think I can't thank you enough. It's always great to see you and chat with you. This was a wonderful conversation. And I, I think the audience is going to get a, a heck of a lot out of this. And next time we do this, I, we hope to see you in your new basement. Yeah, my studio stuff man. going on in the back. Oh, there yeah. you go. <laughs> I got a little studio happening. We'll see. I should be able nice. to walk around. I got a nice green screen, but thank you. Nice. All. Oh, be fun. I, really I learned it. so much, Jeff. Thank you so much for being with us today. Absolutely. And thank you all for watching and listening in. Um, Check us out on Apple, Spotify, Google, uh, all kinds of stuff. We'll have links in, in the descriptions there, but thank you. And we'll see you next time.